Happy holidays. It is the last I Can't Help You podcast of 2018. Is that where we're at? 2018. So we won't be coming back at you in 2019. <laughs> I honestly, that, that means something to me. Like I was, I was like, is it the end of 17 or the end of 18? I've really been thinking that way lately. That's how much time doesn't seem to make that much difference to me anymore. Um, our, our guest here is George Lang. George, hello. Hello. Very happy to be here. Very psyched to have you. Had conversations with you, mostly in the desert. I think our longest conversation was in the desert right. out in, in Arizona when we both landed at a strange place over spring break with our kids and going to see baseball and stuff. It was awesome. That's right. And the conversation just kept flowing. So you said something about wanting to start off the show with a primal scream. Uh, well, I was I was just thinking about this this moment and the year that we've been through. For me, I've gone through a lot of... Uh, personal stuff this year from my mom dying a month short of 90. Mm. We were very close in July mm. to, um, and it all happened in Squirrel Hill where, where I grew up. Mm. She lived in the same house for 86 years. And that's outside of Pittsburgh, right? That's right in Pittsburgh. Or it's in actually. Pittsburgh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and then a couple months later, my good friend Karen Myers, her son is Mac Miller, mm-hmm. who also grew up right there, and he passed away. Mm. And it just felt like a lot of the... Things I've been going through for, with with my mom got got amplified, and um, then a month later, the Tree of Life uh, massacre, which was also this is all within a mile of each other in Pittsburgh, mm. and it felt very intense. And that's mm, mm. just stuff that I've been going through, but just trying to process the news from the last forty eight hours in Washington and the and the whole craziness. I just feel like a big loud scream which I will not treat you to, but I feel like like we really need to be involved with what we're feeling and sharing it and gathering collective voices and artists who were, you know, one of the most powerful times in um, Eastern European and Russian art was was during the most oppressive times. And I feel like artists really need to be rising up with strong voices and talking about what's what's going on now and all of us here need to be um, really sharing how we're really feeling and not curating it too much. Right on. I'm right with you. Would you want to let out that primal scream? <laughs> I mean, if we I do don't it collectively, it. no, I, I'm not sure that I could do that, that it would be effective. Okay, well, let's not do it. Because plus, it'd be like annoying in people's ears, too. They're sitting here, as much as it might be fun for us, they'll be like, ah, oh, they're right, right, screaming right, in their ear, right? right? But you um, can scream at home. And you can definitely scream at or home. Or in the so car. We're going to pause just one moment so you can do a primal scream. <laughs> good. Really good. You got any more in there? Scream some more. Good job. Your windows are rolled up. You're listening in your car. Nobody cares. That's right. All right. Awesome. So anyway, so George, many, many connections. George, is a, you know, we got a lot to talk about. But I think our first connection, besides having children in and around the same age and all that, is really around Bruce Springsteen. I mean, that's, a, that's the, the, the first connection we have is talking about Bruce Springsteen and... There's something that with 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 Bruce fans, and I mean true Bruce fans, and that's not like to diss other people. It's just like there are people who can hum a few of his popular tunes, and then there's other people who explored his catalog, know his catalog, have been to a show, and I would argue have had a spiritual experience at a Bruce Springsteen show. Right. Uh, and, and and that's a defining place in people's lives, I think. Uh, and I know we talked a little bit about that. Can you talk a little bit about your first Springsteen show, like what you experienced when you first saw Springsteen? He scared me. How I so? saw him up in Boston in 1977. Too intense? Just like... Yeah, way too intense. Like, too loud. The music <laughs> was too dark. It was... Um, what year was that? 77. Ah, nice. Up yeah. in Boston. Yeah, really. And and it was just actually terrifying. Not only did my ears ring for days, but I felt like uh, the music, Candy's Room, and like... Kind of this darkness of the edge of town. Yeah, and, he was pi- and he was pissed off because he couldn't record for a long time and he'd been back out. He finally got right. the deal he wanted and now he's out on the road with Fury. Right, but this is the thing. I don't really like Springsteen music that much. There are a couple songs that I listen to. i um hearing City of Ruins right after Katrina in New Orleans blew me away. Yeah. There was a concert that I went to out in LA yeah. that was actually not very good and I was right. about to walk out. Yeah. And he clears the stage just... As I was about to leave and sits down at the piano and he plays this song called The Promise yeah, it's for the first time yeah. ever live. Right. And that blew me away. I saw him in Germany once. He where, also did Kitty's Back that night, too, right. and he breathed up back after a long, long hiatus. So, right, yeah. right. I saw him in Germany and they cranked the drums up. I thought the roof was going to blow off the place. Seeing him in Europe, which I've seen him a lot. Um, it's so interesting because everyone knows all the words. Right, regardless of the language. The first time I ever traveled to 
uh, Europe with my, my with my wife Steffi, we went to San Siro and we saw um, Bruce there. It's a huge soccer stadium outside of Milan. And it was a thunder and lightning storm, the entire concert, and it's outdoors. And no one left. Everyone knew every word. And it was it was just completely mind-blowing. But it was never the music for me. Like, I don't love those songs. Hmm. I love the, the place that he creates where people can have an experience that is powerful to them, and they can have a collective experience. And he orchestrates this collective experience, but he's only an actor, really. He's only leading it. it but, but, it but it's not about who Bruce is or what Bruce is. He gets a very intimate place that you can get to feelings. And then when you go to multiple concerts, you get to those feelings with this big group over and over again. There's one other experience I had with my mother asked me, and she's in her 80s at this point, um, what was so emotional about Bruce Springsteen. And we sat down and I played her five versions of Thunder Road videos from the very this first. This is really interesting for a guy who doesn't really like Bruce Springsteen songs, I know, but keep going. I know that. I know that. But, but I, we hate um, our idols. I like played her from, from, from the earliest version I could find till the latest. And we watched five versions. And I was just more concerned with playing them and watching the screen. And I look over and she's sobbing. And I said, why are you so sad? She said, I never realized he was so emotional. Hmm. So he, he goes to that place. And I think what he's done recently, I was even listening, driving over here, they're, they're playing the, the Broadway soundtrack. Because you don't really like the songs. Keep going. I know that. I know that. <laughs> and, but I don't play them very often. But I it was it. on Sirius. I really do get it. Yeah. It was on Sirius, which I, I don't even like that E Street station, but I always check what they're playing. Me too. Um, and... And I'm listening to it, and there are people sobbing in the audience yeah. while he's yeah. while he's telling these stories. Yeah. And I thought they are not sobbing for Bruce Springsteen. Mm. No one feels sorry for Bruce Springsteen, mm. but they are feeling their own stories through him. Mm. Well, and that's and that to me that is what, in some magical way, he and I would argue great art does. It 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 you know he talks about in that in that performance that. You know, I've never worked an honest day in my life. I've never been inside a factory. I've never any of those things. And yet that's all I've sung about my entire career. Right. And therefore, like, I am a fraud. I'm a magic act. I am I am just I'm just a conduit, as you kind of said earlier. And the thing that I've been wrestling with it in different ways because he is totally a contradiction in so many ways. And then he puts himself right out there in this thing that kind of says it all in this book and in this Broadway thing. Part of it's because he's completely controlling and nobody else is going to control his story besides Bruce Springsteen. He's the boss, right? right? But somehow, some way, so many people can connect to their story through listening to some guy talking about getting out of Jersey and riding around in cars. It's it's amazing to me. Right. It's amazing to me. So, Danny, do you know what I've done my whole career? What? I've been a magician, too. What do you I do? Have, what, what's your magic act? My... my my magic act is my camera. And when the camera is put in my hands, it's like somebody giving me a hat that I can pull rabbits out of. And I do it every day, and I photograph strangers. And it's incredible. My camera is like a key, and it opens all these doors I would never get in. It opened up the door to the Oval Office when Democrats were there. I don't go when, <laughs> when the Republicans are there. It, it opened up the door to... Um, to to great poets in Ireland or to Steve Jobs' house, and I got to take the only picture of Bill Gates and, and Steve Jobs together. But I have these very brief, very intense moments with people I would never get to meet. And my magic act is to go in there, and I'm not interested in what they look like. I'm not interested even in what they do. I'm interested in how we're all connected. Mm. And I go and I photograph all these people and I'm obsessed with how we're all connected. And the other thing going on is there's always some music going on inside my head when I'm photographing it. Really? And for me, the music going on in my head, sometimes it's shared, we'll play music loud, or sometimes it's just, if. well, when I went in to photograph Bill Clinton, I put on... Thelonious Monk's In Walk Bud, I brought a ghetto blaster and I put it down and I cranked it up. And he knew who was playing sax. Oh, he loved and I knew it. He yeah, he's a, he knows, he's... But, but like, and, and a lot of my studio shootings will like crank up the music or whatever. But it's both about 
like getting the rhythm and getting my head to that place that I can totally be free. One thing I like to, that I love is when Keith Jarrett sits down, he's a great jazz improvisational pianist, and he does these solo concerts. And he sits down, and the main thing that he's trying to do is clear his head. I don't want one song, I don't want one thought in my head. I, I want to have this experience in the purest way that I can. And he's very, very talented and very, you know, has incredible craft. But what he does musically is very much a live experience. Mm. And that's what I try and do with my pictures. And, and so I'll go in, and I'm just curious. I'll go in and go like, um, what are those shoes Danny's wearing? And what if he takes one off and flips it backwards? Or if I'm photographing Sophia Loren, what if she would put on a leaf blower, the most elegant woman in the world, and go through the garden with a, <laughs> with a, with a leaf blower? Or I'm photographing Jim Carrey, and we're in the in the dressing room, and I say, your face is so rubbery, what's gonna happen when you're older? It's just gonna all fall apart. And he grabs a clothespin, and then he grabs another clothespin, and he starts putting them around his face. And it's just like being really curious in the moment without any fear. So you're not necessarily like in that situation, you weren't thinking like, what am I gonna do with Jim Carrey when I get there? You got there and you said, what came to your mind. You were in the moment saying what was going on. Is that true? Like, do you script some of this stuff in your head or do you just come in every time with an open canvas? Both. Like today, I, I came in and I was thinking about the primal scream idea. Yeah. But I knew that, you know, we, we may talk about that or not, or we would take that and use it as a jumping off point. Yeah. So rather than getting into my bio and all of that stuff, that right. I'm not that interested. But I do, want, I do want you to just say, where's the best website for people to go to look at your work and look at your stuff? Well, um, my main website is Lang Studio, L-A-N-G-E studio.com. Okay. But I have a new website of prints that I've been making oh, this fall. Yeah. There, I have 80 drawers of film, file drawers, huge file drawers from the 1990s that I took, and it's sitting in Pittsburgh. I grabbed two of those drawers and brought it back and started printing it. Awesome. We're in Boulder now. And... Uh, and that's at georgelang.com. Georgelang.com. Okay, yeah. good. I just wanted to say that because some people actually will be listening to this, and I'd like them to be able to look on their computer yeah. and, and check it out while we're while we're talking and stuff. Yeah. So, um, here's where I'm fascinated with. I'm fascinated with there are literally thousands of young people who, at one point or in a thousand, I mean, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, young people at some point in their life have had the thought, "I want to be a photographer," right, and um, then there are a lot of people, I think, who probably are photographers and um, have various levels of satisfaction with the work that they're able to do and, 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 and how they're able to create. You seem to me to be the type of person who has somehow been able to incorporate both you know, corporate photography, pay the bills, do creative stuff, still bring your view and vision to those projects in a, in a way and make it work. And then also doing other stuff that's just flat out cool. Someone on the street and a shadow and something else. And that there's not a separation necessarily in the work that you do. That's my perception. Is that Does that seem accurate to you? Pretty accurate. How does that happen? Because there are so many people. There are so many people who want to make that happen. And of course you can't, it's like if somebody said to me, like, I want to do something like Game House, give me the guide, but I can't do that to you. I can tell you how to look within you to decide what you want to do. But why do some people manifest this kind of stuff? And why do some people sit around acting like life just gave them bad breaks and they could never do it and something couldn't happen? Or Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm trying to get to that essence. What does that mean to you? Like, why are you successful doing what you're doing? Well, I went to Rhode Island School of Design. And there was, you had to fill out an essay, why I want to go to RISD. And it's, it's a... It's a well-known art school, very good art school. And a friend of mine for the essay, for the entire essay, they wrote, asking me why I want to go to RISD is like asking a clown why they want to join the circus. It's, it's inside of you. <laughs> yeah. When I went there, I knew nothing about being an artist. I, knew, I didn't know what it meant. I hadn't grown up around artists. I had grown up, my, my parents took me to museums and took me to the theater and I had a lot of culture, but they never talked about a life as a creative or life as an artist. And yet, at the age of seven, my dad put a camera around my neck and I never let go of it. Hmm. And I've taken pictures every single day since I was seven years old. Hmm. And 
a lot of people can claim that now because they get their phones and they're taking pictures every day too. Is that annoying to, to, to great photographers? Well, I was just at this really interesting show down in Santa Fe. And in the corner of the gallery, it's a famous photojournalist. In the corner of the gallery, there was a little, a little square. And on it, it said, there are a lot of people that take pictures. There are not that many great photographers. So um, I don't, you know, photography is what I do, but it's not who I am. Mm. Because I write a lot now. Mm. And I get equal, if not more, pleasure writing and feel more expressive than I do taking pictures. Mm. I'm good at taking pictures because I've been doing it a long time. And obviously, I have some uh, like some It's your, it's your trade. That. Well, and it's your yeah. trade. It's your yeah. vocation. It's yeah. what you do. Yeah. And, and, and I... And I feel like photography, and I think most people that are artists feel this way, it's like an itch. And I can almost get to it, but I can't scratch it. And I keep reaching further and further every day to try and try and get at that itch. But, you know, if you step back from photography and just think, like, who are we? What makes us special? What makes us amazing? How do we express ourselves? Whether you do it with photography or writing or drawing or developing software or running aim house or doing a podcast like whatever you guys are doing you want to get to that place that you're amazing you want to get to that place that you astonish people and yourself with with thinking about things in, in a way that's completely unique and we are all capable of that and i expect that of myself and I expect that of my kids. And my kids come up in the morning before my eyes are even open. And they start telling me about their dreams. And their dreams are astonishing at six years old and at seven years old. And oftentimes, the most astonishing thing I hear the whole day, and I have lots of discussions with adults and with interesting people, nothing's more amazing than that dream that my, that my eight-year-old told me. He's now eight, my youngest one. Um, or 11-year-old told me that day, or when they come running home and they hug you and what that feels like. And I think people think too much, and we need to be feeling more. I think that if you can get in touch with how you're feeling, if you think about a kiss, a kiss is the weirdest thing. We're like touching lips and messing around with tongues and <laughs> doing all this stuff that if you step back from what it feels like, it makes no sense and right. it looks weird. Right, it's just like saliva exchange. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but if you close your eyes, which you do because you're that close, so you're doing it, it's not a visual act, you're using all your other senses. What does this feel like? What does this taste like? What does this smell like? What does this sound like? Like you're But the feel else. is the whole thing. Absolutely. Yeah. So you want to use, so if you want to take a great picture, mm. like the best advice I can give you is close your eyes. Mm. Use all your other senses. Use all those other senses like you do when you're kissing. And then open your eyes and, 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 and find your picture. That is really, really interesting. Honestly, you really, really mean that. I Keep, totally mean that. You want that. to take a great photo, close your eyes, take a deep breath, open your eyes, and shoot what you see. Right. So my son, Asher, who is eight, is really into going on a trampoline for hours after work. And it's always, Dad, come take pictures. Dad, come take pictures. And oftentimes I slip underneath the trampoline and, get it from that. Yeah. and shoot up. And, and I love doing that. Um, but we were going to a neighbor's trampoline, and they moved it one day. This is about a month ago. And they moved it, and I didn't realize that when they moved it, it was five inches shorter. And I had a new camera that I wasn't quite used to the size of. And I get under there, and I point up into the netting so Asher knows where I am so he can jump right above me and he goes up and jumps and comes down and hits the lens so hard the camera smashes into my nose and I hear something go and suddenly I am a bloody mess and I'm having to both balance with Asher I'm fine it's not your fault don't worry this is something that I did and he's thinking that he broke his dad and I go out on the front lawn and I get um, an ice pack and I put it over my face and it's covering my eyes and it's covering my nose and I can't see anything. All I can do is hear and feel. And I'm laying in the grass. It's five in the afternoon. The grass is cool. The night is starting to cool down. And there are all these people around me telling me how my face is going to be all black and blue and how my nose is broken and everything else. But I have a half hour out there just laying, trying to get the bleeding to stop, that is completely calm. And the only sense is I can't look at my phone. I can't do anything but just lay there. 
And I just found it so, so remarkable <laughs> to use, to be forced to use all my other senses at that moment and, and how peaceful it was and how inspired it was and how much I was feeling the night in a way that I would never do that because I'd be looking at my phone because I'd be chasing my kids. Like I'd be getting dinner ready or doing all these things that I should have been or would normally be doing, but I paused and I stopped. And we rarely allow ourselves that peace. 100%. Do, did your parents support you? Did they support you in this kind of vision? I mean, I know that they took you to see the arts and all that other stuff, but there's a okay fearlessness quality with I see how you greet life that either came from because you did a whole bunch of work on stuff and other things happened, or you just got a lot of good stuff growing up. Which one or a combo or combo? I mean, I grew up in a very tight neighborhood in in uh, Pittsburgh. The parents were all friendly. The kids were all friends. I felt really secure. Um, my parents were completely supportive. Whatever I would do, as long as it wasn't dangerous, which was not my my way, um, they were a thousand percent supportive. You want to be a photographer? Go be a photographer. You know, if I wanted to be a musician, they would have supported that. If I wanted to, you know, work in a factory, they would have supported that. Yeah. You know, yeah. my dad ran a const little const home remodeling company outside of Pittsburgh, and and what and what was funny about him is he went with a card table on my mother's typewriter from Pittsburgh to this place an hour outside of Pittsburgh in the Steel Village. And they had never met a Jew. Mm. And, my, and we're Jewish. And my dad goes there with his brother and starts this business. Mm. And there is no reason that he should have been successful, mm. except he was just, had this personality and people wanted to be friends with him. Mm. And he got to be friends with a banker. Mm. And he got to be friends with the guy that ran the plastics packaging company, you know, across the street. Mm. Roman Catholic, mm. tough Republican, mm -hmm. you know, right mm -hmm. wing. And mm -hmm. they became best friends. Mm -hmm. and, none, and nothing on paper. If you were doing, when uh, people do dating sites now and like, these are the things I like, well, who cares what you like? Right. You know, who cares if you like this movie or that movie or this writer or that writer? That's not what makes a great relationship. Mm. What makes a great relationship is how much you can love. Wow. What and a, how much you see, are that's open like, to that's love. Like, that's like amazing messaging to get as a young person, right? I mean, that's amazing messaging to get. Like, Okay, so you know what played in our kitchen this morning? Um, <laughs> would you be f totally freaked out if I actually guessed it? Yes. No, maybe not. Um, Let me give you a hint. Some, the new Chance the Rapper. <laughs> well, I love him. I know you do. That was in, a cheat because you told me that once before. And our song of the year was when he was with, um, when he did Sunday's, Sunday Candy. Yeah. That's the song yeah. that, we, that we listened to the whole year. But I was getting ready for your... My, my year, one that I listened to all year with my kids is, fuck you, fuck, <laughs> fuck, fuck you. That one. I like that one a lot. That's really good. That's so That funny. was sort of his primal scream towards all the shit that was going on right. that I interpreted it. Right, as, you know. right. Yeah. Um, as I was Just, getting, we got getting ready there, to come okay. here... We, we throw it on at the end. Chance Rapper can sue me. I don't care if we've copyrighted uh, anything. Yeah. I'll throw it on. Yeah, thank you. Um, knowing that I was coming here and knowing that you deal a lot, you know, a lot of the subject matters around substance abuse and recovery and everything, we uh, put on an old Roxy Music song called Love is the Drug. Oh, nice. Oh, I love that song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great song. Because part of me is thinking like, okay, Danny has invited the straightest person that will ever walk into this room to sit mm, here. Maybe, but... But who's done some of the coolest stuff? So oh. that's that's pretty amazing, and and that's and 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 that is true. Like I think most of like I got a lot of friends in low places. Let's just be honest. But <laughs> but basically, like we've you know because I've hung out with people in my own story and different things. But but what I'm more interested in is like all the ingredients that go into people who are living a life that they wanted to live. You know, that's the the I feel like my greatest contribution is to be able to share to share with people stories of people who are actually living an authentic life and living a life that I mean not, nobody's life's perfect. Right. But some people are actually living lives that they either imagined or fell into or are embracing or I mean it's not, you know, super normal to like be my face is bloody, I'm gonna enjoy this moment and put some ice on this thing. I thought you were gonna tell me you threw your camera up and started snapping <laughs> pictures or whatever. But this idea that, you know, I look around and it kind of gets back to the beginning of what you were talking about. The world is super fucked up right now. Like there's no, I, there's no, actually I'm not going to say the world is really fucked up. Our government and what's going on right now 
and the consequences of unconsciousness are extreme right now. And my hope, I've said this on the show before, my hope is, is that though as painful as this is, this is viewed upon as a great awakening for the American people, that this is really actually the shadow that we are seeing on a daily basis has always been there. This is nothing new. It's just exposed and it's in broad daylight. The question is, how do people respond to it? Because I still believe the vast majority of Americans do not represent that point of view, are not xenophobic by nature, do not want to limit all immigration no matter what. Like, that's an insane thought. It's like we, people who I know who are pretty smart see that the, the collective of all the different races and all the different things is what brought the ingenuity to this country, is what makes us special in who we are. So I think the vast majority of people think that way. But the reality is people still don't fucking vote. People still don't participate in a process that's part of what their thing is. And we reaped exactly what we fucking sowed. That's what I think. I think this is a byproduct of exactly what ignorance and lack of participation will give you. And the power is still literally within the hands of the American people to change if they can wake up. The power is in us. And it's the power is in us waking up every day. And the first thing that happens when you wake up, I believe, before your eyes even open, I think we crave connection. I agree. And I crave connection, per, you know, with my family to start out. If my wife is next to me. I can feel, except she's meditating now and she disappears. Annoying. I know. But, but when she's <laughs> next to me. Selfish as hell. But when she's next to me, like just waking up and knowing that she's there and feeling the heat of her body sure. and feeling, being able to hold her yeah. when I wake up yeah. is so... Like, that's the way I want to wake up. And then my kids come and tell me about their dreams or whatever is going on in, in their head. And I need that connection. And just, just to pause, one thing I want to say, your kids are getting a message every morning, which seems obvious to you, but I just want to highlight it for our listeners. Your kids are getting a message every single morning that dreams matter. Right. Like, seems like a simple thing, but they're getting reinforced every day that dreams matter. Right. That's a huge message. And sometimes they make up their dreams. They aren't even the dreams they had, but they just make something up. It which doesn't is really, matter. Which is really the same thing because it's coming from the unconscious anyway. It exactly. doesn't matter. It's exactly. not truth or lie. It's like your, you know, your unconscious mind matters is what you're saying. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, I take a long shower. I'm sorry environmentally that I do that, but that's where all my ideas, I never come out of the shower without like a bucket full of the ideas that are going to drive my day. They all come from water hitting my head. And that's, that's what happens for me. And then I go out and very consciously try to, you know, use that as a jumping off point. You know, sometimes it's writing, sometimes it's pictures, sometimes it manifests itself in all kinds of different ways. And then the people that I get to connect with, I, you know, this is a big deal. When I'm here and what's going on eye to eye and what's going on when we're having a conversation in person and the people that you communicate with in person, it's really important. It's really important. And I think that we've gotten in this way of communicating with email and text and everything else and social, and I do that too. That is not communicating. That is passing messages to someone in the next row in school. Mm. That is not how we really communicate in an intimate way and in an important way. Mm. And it was funny, after my mother died, I was very raw. And I came back to Boulder. And there is a person who I, who I love a lot, and we had had a really messed up friendship. Like, it, it, would, it was only these, like, broken texts and broken email things. And, and, and when I came back, I get this text from her, meet me at the Trident. And the Trident's a coffee shop in downtown Boulder. I had never gone Best there. Best one in Boulder, by the way, in case you're visiting. Go ahead. I had never gone there. And by chance, when I get this text, I'm standing right outside of the place. And I go in, I get a coffee, and I get this table right on the sidewalk. And, and I said, I'm here. And she comes and meets me. And I look at her and I said, I cannot have a friendship like this anymore. I cannot care about you and want to be close to you and have this ridiculous way of communicating. And we both burst into tears. Wow. And we are crying for like an hour on the sidewalk outside of Trident in Boulder. And then she moves to Paris with her family, and we've stayed in touch. And she called me two days ago on my way to the airport in New York, and she's washing dishes in Paris. <laughs> and she says, every day I think about that conversation. Hmm. And 
I just think so much is getting lost. We do know better. We are good people. And guess what? The people on the right are good people too. Absolutely. I had this really ridiculous experience where I would not photograph Republicans growing up just because I grew up a good liberal and I feel like my job is to glorify people and I just, that was how I slept at night was not going to the Bush White House and doing all that stuff. So in the middle of nowhere, a friend of mine is head of photography at Turner and she calls me to photograph this guy, Glenn Beck. And I don't know who he is. He's on headline news, and I go and photograph him. And he is wild. Not only turns out wild politically, wild creatively. He was on a diet. And I thought, how am I going to show him on a diet? And I got one of those dog collars that, so they can't scratch themselves. And I gave him a big piece of cake. And he's holding the cake outside of the dog collar. And trying to get at the cake. Well, George, I love you, and this has absolutely assured me you will never shoot me. <laughs> Ever. I was thinking earlier, God, I gotta do a new bio shot, and I'm like, I'm not wearing a fucking dog collar with a piece of cake. But anyway, keep going, this is awesome. Um, so, so then Glenn just runs with it. He's like trying to get at the cake, trying to get at the cake, playing along, and then the last picture, he puts the cake on the dog collar, and he's just looking at me with the most Mournful face. Longing yes. eyes. <laughs> yes. Craving longing eyes. Right, eye. right, right. Like he could not resist. Yeah. And then after that shooting, and we did like 14 ideas. I, I have him straddling a long bomb on this thing. Like the shooting was crazy. We dressed him up in a conspiracy theory thing where we tied him to the board and he would do anything I want. And the next shooting, they called me to do his book jacket. And I'm starting to realize who he is, but I think, okay, I'll do one more shooting with this guy. I rent Richard Avedon's old studio, which oh, wow. is a place that the Beatles were photographed in Marilyn Monroe. Oh, yeah. And wow. it's a small space and there are ghosts. This is holy ground for photographers. This is the top of the mountain. And I get to shoot in that room, but I'm shooting Glam Beck. And, and I go in there and the publisher has all these ideas. And I'm a professional. I run through all the ideas. They're horrible. And then Glenn says to me, I hate California. I said, what do you mean you hate California? That's the most ridiculous thing. He says, don't even get me started. I look on the wall, there's a map of California. I get an X-Acto blade, cut California out, it's shaped like a tongue. I said, put this in your- <laughs> That's awesome. I said, put this in your mouth. And he puts this in, in his mouth, mouth. In your mouth. So it's, so it's a tongue coming out, but it's California. How does that feel, Glenn? <laughs> and I said, eat it, eat California. And he starts to eat it and acting like he has indigestion. He's, he's swallowing this thing and pounding his chest. And I said, spit it at me. And at the end, the last frame of the shooting, this wad of the map comes at my lens. Of Glenn Beck spitting out California. Exactly. And so how did it turn out? So the cover of the book winds up being him with California coming out of his mouth. <laughs> and we're off and running. So he... I start taking all these pictures of him that are just insane. Like he called Obama a racist on the air and I took him out in the desert. I drilled a hole in his shoe. I had blood coming out. I gave him a gun and he's screaming and shooting himself in the foot. <laughs> really? Because that's what he did when he called Obama racist. That's what I told him, that he shot himself in the foot. And I would do all these crazy, whatever I could dream up, he would do. And, and he told me that. Like whatever you dream up, I will do. I, I trust that you. That is really awesome. And so I would go to. But these... that is that is trust, right? That's like having trust in you that you're that you're seeing something and doing something. That the, there's a relationship there with the subject that is deeper. That goes beyond sort of an objective, subjective view of what's going. Does that make sense? It and, seems like the relationship makes that happen. Right. But there's nothing more more important. And when you talk about like what did my t what did my parents teach me? Yeah. They taught me that. To love someone, you know, you, like trust is, is the most important thing in any of our relationships, whether it's at work, whether it is here, whether it's with our kids or our wife or our friends. Like there's nothing. That's, that's the basis of, of everything, mm. I, I feel like. I agree with you. And, and, and that's being challenged in the digital age in a way that's very different. But yeah. guess what? The deal with someone trusting you is that you need to be trustworthy. Mm -hmm. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Because it doesn't work if you're, if you're cheating. If, if your vibes are just exploitive, people can feel that. They're right. gonna feel that and it's not gonna be an, an authentic situation. Right, I, so just, just to finish yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the Glenn story, I become like a rock star in his world. He calls me his, 
his communist friend on the air, and and you know I go on with him and. My politics don't change an inch during mm. this whole thing. Mm. But his audience wants their picture taken with me, wants autographs of me. These are like far-right people. And I would say, do you know my politics? Like, you really want to be photographed with me? They say, we know your politics, but you have humanized Glenn in a way that no one else ever has. And you've shared parts of him that no one else ever has. We respect that. And so when you got down to the human level, the place that we're all raising our kids, the place that we're all in trying to have a good marriage and be a good friend and everything else. Keep a belly full and have sustaining and have work community. and have a sense of connection and belonging. And all of those things are things that we inherently share because we're human beings. Right. You know, I was actually thinking when you were saying that I had this thought, I just kind of wanted to share it is that I don't, I, I really believe that the problem, if you will, of where we're at isn't about ideology and it really isn't even about politics. And I don't really even think it's just about division of wealth or healthcare or the million other things. I think if you break it down to the essence, the, the war that is at, that is at work right now is a war against duality. Because what I think is we're seeing the extremes of right and we're seeing the extremes of the left. And to me, this is just my opinion, both are fucking crazy. I mean, I agree a little bit more with people that are on the extreme left. Like that's, I, I lean, I'm left leaning, no surprise to anybody. But, but I, the fantasy that we are not going to be able to govern in a compromised way, like that's the only way, the only way it works for hundreds of millions of people is to play to some middle based upon values and some agreed upon thing. We've strayed really far from that right now. Like it's kind of all over the place, right? But in reality, good old fashioned centrist kind of compromised politics is actually far saner than abandoning something as a whole. So, so, so I don't, I actually like this idea of taking the best of the right and the best of the left and trying to mix them together where it fits on a level of compromise. And I know there's people cringing in their skin when they hear me say that. And I would just invite people that if that really makes you cringe, consider what the alternatives are. What are the alternatives? And when you consider that, I'd like to say, welcome to it, you have it, his name's Donald Trump. That's your alternative. Right. When you go this far to other extremes and people slide in on another way and a bully can basically allow themselves to get into a situation, and then some of these basic things that we don't think matter actually really matters, right? Like immigration really, really matters. The environment, it seems like it actually does matter to a lot of people now. It didn't seem to matter a whole lot when Obama's office, but people seem to really care a lot now. And, I'm, and there's people who always care, I'm not saying, but the, the idea here is, is that there's a center there someplace that is the only way that a, that a country can kind of evolve and move forward. Not everybody's ever going to get everything that they want. It's really that simple. Like no one's ever going to get all the things that they actually want. So when it comes to everybody, we better be working on a center. We better be working on a compromise. The first way to do that, in my opinion, is just look at how attached am I to duality. Well, I'm not attached to the rally. Really, we're not. I either believe in God, I don't. I'm Democrat, I'm Republican. You know, I this, I that, black, white. You know, you can go on and on and on. We organize everything, not you necessarily or me necessarily, but in general, we organize in these very black and white ways. And I think it's really hurting us as a culture. Brian Stevenson, the the lawyer from uh, that's 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 doing a lot with um, people on death row and uh, criminal justice in the South, he says that we aren't the worst thing that we've ever done. Hmm. And if you pull back from that a little bit, I would say that we aren't the issues that we support. People are for abortion or against abortion, or I don't even understand that people are against climate change right, or what that right, even right, means. Right. But like, Have a happy flow. Like, but, I don't know what to tell you. But all these issues, that's not who we are. <laughs> right. Who we are, I'll tell you one more Glenn story. So Glenn got very popular at Fox. And he was doing this big rally in Washington. And 300,000 people showed up at this rally. And Glenn had been working on this speech the whole summer, and he was really proud of it. And the day before, we're in this big hotel suite. He says, let me read you the speech. And he reads me the speech. And he goes, what do you think? And I said, you're totally missing the point. I said, the people that listen to you are listening, doing their dishes at home. They're listening, driving driving to work. They are, they're listening at the gym with their, with their headphones on. They're by themselves listening to you. Maybe they'll listen with their partner, but they're listening to you alone. And they're coming from all over the country to have this big collective experience with someone they love. 
They're all on board with the politics. You don't have to mention the politics. <laughs> They're all on board. They want to have an, a, a collective experience with people that are all that listening to you and love you. Mm. And how can you give this talk and not even use the word love? How is that possible? And that's where I think this all comes down to. We have to relate to each other as human beings and as people that need each other. We all need each other. We need the people that we disagree with, and we need the people that we love. 100%. And we need to love everyone. And it sounds completely no, corny. No, but it's true. Fuck it. It's corny. And it's true. I'm tired of apologizing for saying things that are true. If it ain't about love, like, what is it about? If love isn't the way out, that's not a hippie ideal. That's like, read... The great, I don't know. You know I mean, like when you read history, when you read all spiritual works, when you look at everything, it's all pointing. The words don't ever really get there, but it's all pointing towards the same thing. So the reason that we need to, to have conversations in person and the reason why we have to have intimate conversations is because what we're posting and what we're sharing about our lives, we're curating out all the pain. Right. We're curating out all the things that we... That make d- us human. That make us human. That's right. That's right. <laughs> No more of that 19. Everybody, come on. Right, <laughs> join, right. Join right. us. When you're depressed, post that shit. Right. I can't get up out of bed this morning, man. It sucks. So, something but you, hurts. Somebody's going to write you something good, you know? I'm sad. Yeah, I'm sad. It sucks. It, you know? it, it, there's, it, certain, there's certain um, areas of social media where that is okay. Someone dies, you can right. put it up there, and you're going to get a little bit of support that way. Um, someone gets sick or something like that, there's that and the carrying bridge. There's neat things that can happen from these kinds of things. But... I agree with you in the totality of the human experience. It's like we're, we're making everything these highlight reels and these little snapshots. And, and it's only showing a little fraction. It's not saying that's not who we are, but it's only, at the very least showing a very fraction of who we are. You know? So if I'm going to believe that, then I should have taken the picture of my bloody nose. I know. I know. Well, a lot of people, a lot of people would have. OMG, look what happened to my face. You know? Hashtag dad moment. Hashtag fuck face. I don't know. I've cussed a lot today on today's show. Let's see. Good job. Yeah, thanks. We're up on the end of the year. All right, we got to wrap soon, but what do you guys, do you have anything that you want to ask George? This is, a, this is the Adopt a Millennial segment of the show. It's <laughs> where I turn it, turn it over to the Millennial Hounds. Kids, go at it. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't want to know your opinion about, um, I guess, social media and how you have these people who want to, who are really into capturing things, um, but not necessarily, like, living in the moment. Meaning that you're capturing something more conceptually? Well, well, because what I find interesting is that there are people who want to want to capture things and post on Instagram, but there's something about people like missing out on things. I mean, what I'm looking for every day is to be blown away. Mm-hmm. I want to. I want to see what you're seeing, and I want it to blow me away. Mm-hmm. And whether you are 12 years old or 22 years old, or I just visited my favorite photographer, I think the greatest living photographer, Dwayne Michaels, he's 88 years old. And he said, let me show you something. This is on Tuesday. And I go in his basement in New York, and he shows me 20 short films that he's made in the last two years. And I will put those up against any art being done by anyone at any age. They were so inventive. They were so awesome. And they, he is just- blew you away. Blew me away. Seeing the world in the freshest, Mm. most extraordinary way. And he's 88 and he's he's completely alive. By the way, the best piece of of advice that he gave me, and this is great advice for anyone, but especially an artist, is he said, if I have an idea on Monday, it's completed on Friday. He is not procrastinating at all. Mm. But I think however you express yourself, whether it is something that you made up that's a total lie that's expressed in the most amazing way, whether it's something you dreamt up that scared the shit out of you 
and you and you're sharing that or whether it is just like opening your arms and saying, love me, you know, whatever it is, I think that's really important. What I don't want to see is what I already know. I know what coffee looks like. I know what desserts look like. I know all this stuff that people are showing me. Don't show me that. Show me something I don't know. But you know, show sometimes me... people can put like hearts on the top of lattes. I don't know if you've seen that. No, <laughs> I've never seen that. What, does, I mean... Instagram, does Instagram ever blow you away? Totally. Really? Totally. Who do you follow? What's, who blows I you away? I follow, in? this is really weird, but I, I, follow, I follow a lot of African and Indian culture. Hmm. Like there is Black Voyagers I've been looking at lately and a lot of sites around that ideas that I just, I just love the color and I love the texture and I love the humanity in these posts. There's an everyday Mumbai, I think, that I was following for a while that, that I loved. My my feed, by the way, is <laughs> give a little plug is yeah. George Lang George at uh, mm-hmm. Instagram, and I do a lot of writing, like much like yesterday. The period at the very end of my post was cut out because I was at twenty four hundred char- characters. So so you're you're you know, going. You, I'm that? writing a lot with that. Nice. I worked. There is an in house agency at Facebook and Instagram called Creative Shop, and I was their first artist in residence, and I worked there for for two years and got kind of an inside glimpse of the way that all works. And my my takeaway is that the most important thing is that we really try and be creative mm. on these mm-hmm. on these platforms. Because if we're just showing things that we already know, if it's just a vehicle for ads and all that stuff, and we aren't sharing anything that really matters then uh, really matters to us, mm-hmm. then you know, this way of communicating is kind of bullshit. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Justin, you got anything over there? I guess just to recap on some of the ideas that that you guys have been talking about, um, it's such an information-based and such a logical type of culture that we live in. And I think that drives so many of the decisions that we make and so many of the cultural paradigms that exist. And I just love this whole idea of human connection and kind of getting away and, you know, Coming back to the millennial section of the show, I think that that this period in time is just opening up so much of this technology-based communication and what you're talking about of just kind of like you're sharing your shit so much on your Instagram that you're not even there. Like one of my biggest pet peeves is when I'm at a show, a really amazing concert, and everyone is standing in front of me with their cell phones. It's like so this. annoying. It's and the you worst know what? thing. I'm gonna pull out my cell phone and get a video too if I think it's really special and I want to share it. Because like you're saying, that's something meaningful that I want to share. But I'm not gonna be sitting there the whole concert looking through the phone because then I just paid you know 20 bucks to be there. I want to see this band and like feel the music. That's right. The I'm gonna like it's, me. it's like I'm gonna record this right now so that I can enjoy it in the moment later. Yeah, it's like, like what yeah, the hell? I'm not going to ever watch that later. Right. I might watch it once or twice. Right. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, I remember that. But it's all right. up here. I don't, have to, I don't have to watch the video. Yeah. If I really experience that, it's more, it's more in here. That's, that's more important. And, and you can't do both. No. So if you're shooting no, no. a video, right. you are not there. Right. And if you're there and really connecting with the music, you don't need the video. Right. Yeah, you don't Because it's in your heart. Yeah, right. it's even better. And right. I want to know the last concert you went to that was 20 bucks because the concerts I'm trying to go to, Anderson Paik down in Denver is 250 bucks for a ticket. That's because we're oh old guys that follow other people. They were, he's talking about clubs and stuff, like, right? Like getting well, you play. know what? I would love to see Anderson Paik, but um, I'm such a fucking cheapskate when it comes to concerts. <laughs> I think It's F-bomb day. Part, part, yeah, that's Happy what holidays, we're doing, right? you that's what we're doing. Happy fucking holidays. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Jackson. I'm sorry, sorry, buddy. Sorry, that was not your daddy. That was Uncle Danny over here. This is the dirty sound engineer. Don't worry about it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm just like, probably the most expensive concert I've been to is maybe like 40 bucks. 40, 45 maybe. Yeah. I like to go see the more underground stuff at the club or whatever. Or I, I think I get spoiled if you work in the music industry too and you're working at these venues and stuff or you get into shows for free a lot I'm like I don't want to pay a hundred bucks for that most expensive show I've ever been to is seeing Bruce on Broadway on my 50th birthday wow yeah and it was worth every freaking penny I'm totally okay that's pretty special the one seat at the last show Bruce did on Broadway 40 grand that's what I heard (laughs) it's just I mean that's just cuckoo money it's just like (laughs) people pay it yeah people pay it it's like yeah you know it's on Netflix now, too, as if Bruce needs my plug. Hey, everybody. Yeah. No, I'll tell you one of the most amazing things. I think that the Bruce Netflix thing is amazing now. And yeah. in a year, it's going to look really weird. Yeah. But um, the Esquire cover piece on him, I thought, was 
really transcendental because he he talks about this character you see called Bruce Springsteen right. is not really me. Right. Right. It's a character that I've created right. out of me. And I think that's the essence of what that book that he wrote and what he's doing. And it's interesting, like what his motivation as an artist would be in doing that other than just to put to actually take that mask off and show people what it looks like. I think to me, that's the most inspiring piece, because I feel like I feel like we're all you know, when, when he talks about like the faith every time he hits the stage. Right. And like you talk about 100,000 people in a stadium and there's just songs. And yes, your band's there. But there's an enormous amount of faith that somehow you're going to pull magic out of the air and that whole crowd's going to be swaying together later and something's going to happen to have that experience. To me, that's faith. That's a thing called faith, which is a really interesting concept because it gets so confused with God and so many different concepts for people and ideology and words. But that faith that somehow if I can put myself in a vulnerable situation with my own unique genius the possibility exists to pull some magic out of that air and create something that's really special. I think that's positively what you do with your work you. in that moment. And I'm, I'm very grateful for you coming on the show today. And will you come back in 2019? We'll do this again. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, this is fun. And we can do more of it and stuff. And um, before we wrap up, I just wanted to say also a lot of gratitude, Lauren, for, for putting stuff together for us this year and helping bring this together and staying on it and getting our social media going. And pestering me to stay with this even though like sometimes i get too busy but this is like my favorite thing that i do so thank you and it's a blast and justin same thing my man and lil will sitting over here happy little holidays lily sitting here and she's she's been doing that too and supporting the show and just a a, a huge supporter in general um so i'm just feeling super grateful to anybody who had listened to our podcast like i have heard a couple times people say i heard a couple different times it's been really weird people like i've listened to all your podcasts i'm like really like it's shocking to me that people would do that and i'm so grateful and appreciative we're gonna we've just barely started we're gonna go full born 19 and come back at this and do a lot more of it and it's it's a wonderful opportunity to connect and to to have this kind of relationship in your ear so thank you so much and um, thanks everybody for showing up. This is the I Can't Help You podcast from Made Life Studios. You can find out more about it. You can join us on social media at I Can't Help You Pod on Instagram, and we're on Twitter. I Can't Help You Pod, Facebook, just I Can't Help You. Yep. Like us, follow us. Yeah, we're on Spotify. We're, we're on iTunes. We're everywhere now. SoundCloud. If SoundCloud. You, if you we're want. on Cloud Sound. We're on Netflix. No, we're Coming not. soon. Coming we're not soon. on Netflix, but we're going to be on Netflix. All right, thanks, everybody, and thanks for a great 18. We'll, we'll see you in the new year. Happy holidays. Hope everybody has some good rest over the break, and we'll be back at you in the new year. Thank you so much.